Are you wanting to create a highly prosperous photography business doing what you love? Or maybe you have a great business already and want to up your game? Then you're in the right place. Master craftsman photographer Lucy Dumas and her guests are here to support you on your journey. Now here's your hostess and tour guide, Lucy. Life is either a daring adventure or nothing. Helen Keller. Hello again, and thank you for tuning in. It means so much to me to know that people are listening and sharing this show with their friends. Several of you have sent me lovely feedback, signed up for my free gifts on lucydumascoaching.com. Remember Lucy with an I. And some of you have connected for a quick chat. And I'm really grateful for that. So if you haven't done that, then please do so because knowing, you know, it's like throwing a a note in a bottle and hoping somebody's picking it up. And it's been super fun to get direct connection with y'all. I'll pretend I'm Southern for a minute. So I can't wait to introduce our next guest, Arika Dorf. And I have a wonderful, fun story about how I met her. So first of all, hi, Arika. Hello, Lucy. How are you? Good. Has such a pretty voice. I wanted you to hear it right away. Oh, you're so sweet. <laughs> okay. So picture this. Arika Dorf is someone that I have recommended to my coaching clients frequently that specialize in pet photography. She shared with me, you know, it's kind of, it's been around a long time, but I have referred her creative live shows and I've watched it myself. So I had more tips specific to pet photography, both business and the how-tos, and my clients have loved it. I, I seem to attract a lot of pet photographers who are looking for coaching, which is super fun. So, And that's how we originally met. Well, yes. So in person. Here, here's the story. <laughs> so I went to, there's a pet photography group that had a meetup at the Imaging Expo in Nashville. And you know, we said hello, and I saw her name tag, and she said, I'm Arika Dorf. And I said, oh my gosh, Arika, I, I have all my coaching pet photographers listen to your show and what you're up to, and you're amazing. I'm Lucy Dumas. And she said, Lucy Dumas? Oh my gosh, I love your podcast, and I listen to it every day walking your dog, and yep. it's my favorite, I think you said. Well, so. yes, and it was so funny because... I had never met you in person and I didn't know that you were involved in that circle. Mm -hmm. So it caught me off guard. It was like seeing my elementary school teacher at the grocery store. <laughs> you're like, wait, you don't belong here. You, you're in the podcast world. Like, what are you doing here? So it was yeah. really neat yeah. to, to yeah. meet you in person and, and small world. Yes. And because I've been a photographer for so long, I always love to learn. But in order to benefit and be visible with the pet photography community. I love to hang out and meet people and so forth. And yes, I have done my share of pets. Usually, of course, it's with a family portrait. <laughs> Funny. Sure. Arika, one time I got the most amazing picture of a two-year-old and two beautiful labs out in the woods, babysitting on a log, holding the leash perfectly. Yeah. Why do you think I never used it for an ad? Because you don't want to do it over and over and you don't want those people coming to you. <laughs> well, because uh, the impossibility for someone who doesn't do this all day, every day yeah. of a toddler I know. and two dogs is like impossible. So. Well, 
No. And that's the thing I hear so many people, they say, oh, well, photographing pets is just like photographing kids. And I'm like, no, it's the polar opposite. <laughs> like, mm. I think it's completely different. And then you're trying to put those two things together. You're trying to put a circus on for the kid to get them to laugh, but that's too much energy for the dogs. Yeah. You know, so- yeah. 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 And just kind of the way it works out for me is I don't have a lot of clients who have young children. Mm -hmm. So that's not really my clientele. So luckily that's not something that I'm photographing a lot because it is that you have to kind of be a magician to get those two things oh, yeah. together at the same time. Now, I will say that being a, a child expert myself, there's a lot about dogs that are like two-year-olds. Yeah because they understand what's going on, but they don't have words and the attention span is short. Would you agree? I would agree. See, the thing with two-year-olds, I feel though, and again, I don't photograph a lot of kids, but the thing with the younger kids, I feel like they are choosing sometimes to be defiant or choosing to not want to be involved or doing the opposite of what you're asking, Absolutely. where dogs don't do that. Ah, you know, if they're nervous, they're just nervous. Or if they're happy, they're just happy. They're not choosing, you know, to be one way or the other. So, right. Yeah. Right. It, it's the also busy feet, but you cannot tell a toddler to sit and stay. Sure. Oh, sure. <laughs> well, and that's why I always use ottomans and things when I'm doing photography indoors. I never photograph them on the floor because right. you can't tell a dog or a two-year-old stand on the X. Right. You know, this is where I want you to be, where I always put them on a piece of furniture because psychologically they go, oh, I get it. That's where you want me to stay, you know? Exactly. See, they're a lot of light because yeah. my, tip, <laughs> my tip with toddlers is to elevate them okay. just high, high enough so that they're not going to climb down. Sure. And it's still safe. It's low yeah. enough well, that it's safe. Yeah. It, it's safe because I have the parent with their hands empty, ready to catch. Yep. But most kids at that point understand that the ground is far down there. If their feet are on the ground, then they're, they're running away. For sure. Yeah. yeah. So, but, so you want to hear the pet photography tip for that? Yes. So same thing. You have the owners right next to them, partly for safety, but partly just to keep them in place. Uh -huh. But the owners can't take their hands off of them until you make a noise to get their attention. Yes. Because as soon as you take your hands off, that's when they start climbing down or moving around. So you pet them the whole time and you tell them, I'm going to make a little noise. As soon as they look at me, just slip your hands out for a second and then slip your hands back in. So, See, we yeah. do have a lot of the same <laughs> needs. The other, uh, what you said about the defiance is absolutely true. Yeah. That there is a part of the brain in a child that develops right about 12 months old. Mm -hmm. which is why how I plan a session for a 10-month-old and a 12-month-old is a completely different plan. Oh, that's fascinating. Okay. No clothing changes with at 12 months and, and beyond. And is that because they're moving at that stage? The part of the brain, not it's not about the movement, it's yeah, the psychology. Okay. There's a part of the brain that's developing right around 12 months and really the terrible twos potentially start then that is about independence and self-determination mm -hmm. and so when they're 10 months old they don't have that so clothing changes as long as they're comfortable you know not exhausted you can do that but it's important for kids at this these ages between 12 months and maybe two and a half to resist always being told what to do and controlled sure because then Later in life, they don't have to have therapy learning to say no. <laughs> so it's a, it's a no. And so if kids know what we want, you know, toddlers, mm -hmm. and they're in the defiant, they just that day or that hour, they're practicing saying no. 
because it's like lifting weights. We've got to practice. Um, right. the, then they might just resist for the fact of resisting. So you are absolutely yeah. on target. But I love that interesting twist that it's it's the opposite with pets that I'm guessing they want to please us. They do, but it's also, you know, if they're nervous, then the best thing you can do is ignore them uh-huh. because the more attention that you give them, it just makes them more nervous. Interesting. Yeah. So we just jumped right into some good stuff. <laughs> it's a lot you, of psychology, right? It is. And energy in both. <laughs> yep. Um, so here's a little about Arika. She grew up in Hawaii and obviously she's an avid animal lover, hot tea drinker, an ukulele player, and also she teaches ukulele, or you might call it ukulele, but it's ukulele, right? Uh, yep, ukulele. Ukulele. Mm-hmm. All right. She lives in Washington State. She is a PPA photographic craftsman and has been photographing pets for 14 years. So this is one of the things I want to talk more about is she went from having a luxury studio and then selling her business and doing pet portraits on the road. And we'll get more into that about how she's created an amazing life for herself, traveling part of the year, and then just hanging out, playing her ukulele. There you go. Yes. (laughs) And teaching and other fun stuff. So I know that Arka has an interesting, how the heck did you get started story? And everyone does, you know, we all start somewhere. So tell me, How'd you get started? Oh, goodness. Okay, Lucy, ready? Yes. (laughs) The short version is I woke up one day and said, I want to be a pet photographer. And I was not a photographer at the time. I did not own a camera. I convinced a angel investor to loan me. It was $140,000 with interest. So it was almost $200,000 that I was going to pay back. I signed a five-year lease on a retail space. I've never owned a business before. I really had no idea what I was doing. And um, that's how I got started. So basically, I don't recommend that anyone does things the way that I did. Mm. Um, I literally didn't know shutter speed aperture ISO. I'm not even joking when I signed a five-year lease for a pet photography studio. So, yeah. <laughs> so you didn't know an F-stop from a bus stop? Nope. And I, I didn't even own a camera. I didn't even own a wow. camera that I even shot automatic on. I just said, I'm going to be a pet photographer. Yeah. So I ended up going to a photography convention and bought all of my equipment. And I met someone at the booth, um, Steve Winslow and his wife, Sophia Lane. They are still wonderful friends of mine and mentors till this day. And I flew Steve out and I said, teach me everything I know. I need to know in three days to get me started doing studio photography. And he did. And I just honestly fell into a really great group of people who were all high-end photographers charging high-end prices. So I just, I got really lucky. It, you know, again, I don't recommend that people do it that way, but that is my honest story. That is what happened. And um, we paid our loan off in three years and the business was great, but yep. (laughs) That's, That's what I did. Yep. Yeah, which, you know, so many times I hear um, when I'm having conversations with people about hiring me or someone else as a coach, they'll say, I need to make some money first. And I think, how can we have a successful business if we have no money? And so the bravery for you, even if you would do it 
quite differently. The courage to go all in, make the investment. And, you know, it really um, puts you where like, you can't just hang around thinking, I, I need to get busy. Right. Well, and you know, you like had to go for it. And there are some investments that make us grow faster. You know, you found a mentor and said, teach me. Right. And, and I assume you, you didn't like bring him a, a case of beer that no, no. <laughs> right. you invested. Right. Yep. Uh, you know, and a couple thoughts with that. First, I don't take credit at all for having courage. It was honestly, ignorance was bliss. And at that point in my life, I had never really failed at anything. Mm. Um, so failure just wasn't even, not that it wasn't an option. Failure wasn't even like a thought in my mind because it was like, oh, this is what I'm going to do. And of course, I'm going to do this. And of course, I'd never owned a business before that. And, you know, now knowing what I know, oh my word, I would never do anything like that. Mm. You know, and when I mentor people, um, I'm always trying to talk them out of doing a retail studio. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so it's, I learned a lot, but yeah, I wouldn't, I can't take credit for the courage part because it was just, again, it was just kind of ignorance, but <laughs> ignorance is bliss. Yeah. But I will say We're, that, yeah. you know, but I will say that having that monthly overhead, my rent was $4,000 a month. Ooh. And I had employees and, you know, all the other expenses that come along with a studio storefront. I'd never had time to think about, oh, do I want to do this? Or, oh, it was just sink or swim, mm -hmm. you know? So it was that kind of motivation that was just like, okay, let's just go and get it done. You don't overthink it where, so again, I don't recommend, you know, going that route and having that kind of overhead, but for some people, it's the motivation that they might need because if not, they can sit around and make excuses. Right. I signed up for a, a year-long program this year mm -hmm. uh, to help me, you know, become more visible in our community so I can support more people with my coaching and my podcast and my online courses. Sure. Uh, by the way, my online course should be live on my website I by the know. time this posts. But I made this big investment this year. And my one-on-one -on -one coach, who I've been with for three years now, has said, Lucy, you have accomplished more this year than I've seen in our three years of coaching. Mm. And I realize it's because I made this big investment. And so I got to do the work. I can't just sit around thinking, okay, I need to finish my online course and let people know. It's like, I need to finish this. Right. <laughs> right. And Doesn't so, that go back to like the whole like free has no value? Exactly. Right. Like you spent money on that. So you're like, I'm going to get my money's worth out of that. Right. Right. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I go to, cause it's, it's one where we have three group coaching calls a month and a, sure. and a mastermind group. And there's, we had a retreat in Hawaii and we've got one coming up in Santa Cruz and there's two more during this month and others. And, and I don't, I'm not like, Oh, I'm not going to go. It's like, I have paid for this program. I'm going to take advantage. Right, so right. the point of that story is that investing in our education can actually be the thing that makes us successful. Yes. That that investment itself is very, very motivating. For sure. Yeah. So you're not advising people to take out a big old loan and open a storefront studio. What do you suggest in terms of, like if you were starting from zero again, how big of a loan, how much do you think people need to plan on investing early on, you know, and how would you structure? Sure. I mean, I know you're doing something and fabulously different right now, but yeah, um, I am. But 
for the average person that's like, I want to start a business? So let's, let's start with this first. So I would say before any of that, before you're thinking about what investment do I want to make? And I shouldn't, it's not that I'm, you know, against having a, a storefront by any means. I just think that people need to lay the foundation first for okay. what they want their business to look like and kind of just go through, like, I'm a big profit first person. Are you familiar? Uh -huh with yes. the profit first money management system. Okay. I'm a big believer in the profit first money management system and just laying that foundation and like even just your core values of, you know, if you have young kids, maybe you want to be at home when they're home. And, you know, if you have a spouse, maybe you want to be home with them in the evenings. If you have a dog, maybe you want to do hikes with them on the weekends or whatever those core values are for you. And then just kind of filter all of your business decisions through those core values to make sure that your business is running the way that you want it to, that you're not committing to things that are going to burn you out. So I say you have to start with that and start with, you know, how much do I want to make? Like, what are my life expenses? And start with that and then build from there and say, okay, so if this is how much I need to make for my salary, then if I want to have a studio storefront, this is how much I need to gross. If I want to have a mobile business, this is how much I need to gross. Right. How many sessions is that per year? And kind of just doing the numbers that way, because I think that's going to help you make a better decision than just this idea or this dream in your head. Of, right. Well, this is what I want. It's like, well, run the numbers and then that'll help you go, oh, wow. Okay. I see if I need to have a storefront, then I might need to have employees. And if I need, so I'm going to need to make X amount of dollars per session, you know, shooting, let's say a hundred sessions per year, or I can make less if I shoot 200 sessions per year, or you can do something like what I'm doing, shooting 35 or 40 sessions per year, you know? So I think you yeah. have to start with that first, those numbers right. and that foundation right. first. When I do a strategy with people, which is, I offer about three complimentary ones per month. Mm -hmm. We look at those big dreams, mm -hmm. uh, that that part that you talked about, and then when I when someone starts in my program, we do a a quick and dirty business plan, which is exactly what you just said. So I love that we're we're on the same page with that. Which yeah. is how much do you want to make? Let's yep. figure out then what your gross needs to be. How many sessions do you want to do? What do you want to do? How many hours do you know, want to work? And then we break it all right. down. Exactly. And when people see that, first of all, they often say, well, I never really thought about what I wanted it to look like in terms of the, we'll say the dream for the business. Mm -hmm. And I never broke down the numbers and things seem so much more doable. Let's say if you want to make a hundred thousand and you want to do 50 sessions mm -hmm. and your overhead is a hundred thousand, then you break that 50 sessions into 200,000 and then right. break it into 12 months. And that's how much you need to bring in on a monthly right. basis. Right. So yeah, no, absolutely. I and mean, that's the same way that, you know, with the whole profit first thing that, you know, basically half of whatever you bring in is yours to keep that goes in your pocket. And the other half is, you know, running the business, paying for expenses, paying for your income tax profit for the business, you know? Mm -hmm. So I find in our industry, in general, mm -hmm. we keep about a third. Yeah. If someone's got a lot of overhead, you know, when you really think about every single thing, the space in your home, the having a car that, you know, just all of it. Now, some people are wiser, more careful, more streamlined, but I like to figure that we're going to keep a third after taxes. Sure. As, and, um, but yeah, that, yeah. so there's the, there's the real numbers, but somewhere 30, 
to 50% goes right out the door. And um, it's important to know that. Yeah. Yeah. So So I don't know if that answered your question about, you know, what I recommend, but that's, you know, yeah, I think, I think you have to start with that because if you start with a big dream, like I did, oh, I'm going to have this storefront. It's like, I was lucky that I made it and I fell into the right group of people and I was charging high-end prices from the start, but I didn't have, I, I didn't know my numbers when I started by any means. I just, you know, got lucky. Yeah. So, yeah. So I have a question for you. I want to have more discussions with other people who support others in this business. Mm-hmm. So, and there's different philosophies about how you start pricing. Mm-hmm. And some people are suggesting you just right off the bat, start high, rip the bandaid off, you know, make the entry point pretty high. Mm-hmm. and go for it. Of course, there are people who, and I don't think any teacher coach who really understands business would say start super cheap unless you're doing high volume. But I have been of the philosophy that start at profitable range that you feel comfortable and then grow the business, become a better photographer, market more, learn to sell more, get yourself busy, then raise your prices 15, 20%, and then do that over and over and over and step up to that, you know, what might be considered the super luxury market. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think it might under now, and it's always situational because someone who is just starting their business for them to, to jump in and, you know, their work and their packaging and their sales and their marketing is not even really ready. You know, they're just starting. I think it would be dangerous to to start super high relative i don't know do you have a do you have a philosophy on that you know get as a standard because everybody's different so yeah yeah i i just honestly think i think it just goes back to running your numbers because i think when we talk about super high or a lot like what is that like i think it depends what market you're in right if you're in a little town like i am in washington you know 150 dollars eight by ten might sound like a lot but if you're in san francisco 150 dollars eight by ten is not a lot you know so i just think you have to base it on your numbers i think Mm. if if not we're pulling numbers out of the air and going well does this feel high or like it doesn't matter what it feels like, like you take the emotion out of it. You talked about this with um, Anne, is it Ruthman? Yes. So she has that um, pricing for the pricing workbook for creatives. Uh Um, And I love how she lays everything out because it's exactly that where you just do all of your personal expenses and you do all of your business expenses. And then you just say, so this is what I have to make. So when you know your numbers like that and you say, okay, well, this is what I want to make in my salary. This is what I know I need to make in my gross. Then it's not so much about, well, what is anyone else doing or does this feel high? It's like, this is what I have to make for this session. Does that make sense? So, and so, and what I, what I do, um, I don't do a big jump, you know, like you were saying 15 or 20% increase. So I would start on the higher end in the sense that, you know, it doesn't need to be crazy high, but on the higher end that, you know, you're not in like shoot and burn prices and then eventually want to be doing what, you know, we're doing where we're selling large wall portraits to people and making thousands of dollars per session. So starting on the higher end, but I increase my prices um, 2% every year. Just two. Mm-hmm. Huh. So I do that because um, it's not a noticeable price that anyone's going to notice. Mm-hmm. So, and it's um, enough that I'm in line. But again, if you're starting really low and you're only doing two, then it's not a big difference. But if you're starting on the higher end, right, 
and I'm doing 2% every year, um, then I'm actually at least staying in line with, you know, your lab and everybody else is going to be increasing their prices over time. Right. Um, and it's not a price that clients are ever going to notice. Right. You know, See, when, I, when I, and I can remember the restaurant, I can remember having barbecue all over my hands during a West Coast school where somebody suggested that once I get as busy as I can be and want to be based on my work, my marketing mm -hmm. and how I'm selling, then go up 10 to 15% every six months to year. And what will happen is some people will drop out mm -hmm. and I'll be making the same money. And I did that in the wedding business year after year. And within three years, I was one of the highest paid wedding photographers by purposely eliminating that low end sure. um, a little bit. But I was starting at a living wage, but not where I wanted to ultimately get to. So it was a, a step up rather than I'm going to start at what I want to make. And I'm going to like, I had no financial support. So it was sink or swim. So mm -hmm. I had to get some money coming in and my work wasn't that good. And I wasn't that good at marketing and I wasn't that skilled at selling. And so, you know, there was that sweet pot. I think, you know what I think another, another factor is here, Arika? What's that? Is if I'm booking 30 to 50% of people who inquire, who inquire <laughs> or mm -hmm. inquire, depending on, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> if we're booking 30% to 50, then our pricing is about right for our skill level, how well we're marketing and so forth. Sure. If we're booking almost everyone, right. we're then way we're too, too low. low. Sure. If we're booking 10%, unless, you know, I will say if someone has very strong search engine optimization, they're going to get a lot more no's because it isn't a target. You know, you can't really target like you can with other forms of marketing. Sure. So, so to me, you know, just going back to my roots and my teaching is that that 30 to 50% is a good gauge of and I, if that, that I hit that sweet spot where people will say yes. Sure. That also makes me think about um, people if they're having collections or packages, you know, and if everybody's getting your largest package, obviously increase your pricing. Right. You know, and yeah. um, if you're only having, you know, if nobody's getting that top package, maybe that's too much or maybe that's good because maybe that's helping sell your package below that, you know, right. kind of the same concept. Yes. So. If they're all only buying your lowest package, mm -hmm. then but, either it it's at the price point that, that the people you're attracting will invest or there's too much stuff in it already because we want the middle package to be the most appealing where we have our, our best profit. Right. So that's a good point. Yeah. Um, so one other thing on that. And so what I did when I did packages with weddings is when I found that they were buying that top one, then I sometimes, I didn't really raise my prices specifically. I just added a higher package. Sure and dropped out the lowest one. Sure, and that, that makes sense. Well. So a sweet spot that I find overall for me and um, you know people I work with is if someone can invest initially like five to 700, maybe four to 700, depending on you know where you are, mm -hmm. by 
then going through the entire sales system properly, they easily, you know, if someone's in with me initially for five, I know they could be in for 5,000 and beyond. Yeah. Um, if they bulk at five, then I know it's a no. Yeah. My concern is if my entry point is a thousand, there are highly qualified people who would invest really well that wouldn't quite be ready at the start yeah. to say yes to a thousand. So yeah. no, and, I think your the your numbers are right where mine fall because yeah. I have a two fifty session fee, like a creation fee. And then I have a 450 um, minimum order requirement. So for me, that's a 700 that you're talking about. Right. Um, and that's obviously not what we're hoping our sales average is, you know, what they're spending. But yeah, if I make it a whole lot higher than that, I'm not getting a lot of people booking who do end up spending the two, three, four thousand dollars $4,000. Right. Yeah. And my other philosophy that goes against what, um, you know, some some people have been like, oh, well, I took this training and was told this. My philosophy is to have something that is at a comfortable, comfortable entry level, like a, a, a 150, 200, um, 8 by 10, where they know for, let's say, with you for 700, that they can go home with a couple 8 by 10s. So that sure. as they're looking at that um, price menu and they're looking at the you know bigger bigger products and they're kind of like hyperventilating and then they get down to oh well you know eight by ten starts at 200 okay i can say yes to this does that jive no with your no theory? yeah no it absolutely does yeah. yeah and i don't think that means that we have to list every single price on our website no we can still I, do you know prices start at or gift prints start at and wall portraits start at you right know? yeah I, I personally don't put any numbers on the website because i don't want to scare off somebody in either direction. I well, I think, but I think but that also depends. Different. Well, I think that depends on how busy you are. So right. when I had a studio, I put all of my pricing online, which none of my photography friends recommended, but I was the only studio storefront pet photographer in the entire Valley of Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. And I needed to weed people out right. because I was getting way too many phone calls. Right. So I just put all my pricing up there to weed those people out. But if your phone's not ringing, don't put all your pricing online. Right. You know, when I was a wedding photographer, I handed out my pricing with brochures mm -hmm. and so that I didn't get all the calls because I was so busy. I mean, I, I turned away so much more work than I could possibly do. You know, a nice, nice position to be in. Sure. It also helped elevate other people started raising their prices because of course they'd come by and grab my price list and be like, oh, we're way too cheap. But yes, it, it all depends. Um, so I appreciate that. You know, I've just been ruminating about supporting people in their success and not wanting to hold them back because I think a certain way is the way. Yeah. Sure. sure. So the other philosophy, and there's an actual, you know, I know, I know you're my guest, but I love having this <laughs> conversation, you know, and us kind of thinking this through together is doing a step up sort of sales. That's basically what I do where I get them at that entry level, you know, five to seven. And then the next step is the products. And I make sure there are some things that they can purchase that are seem like I have a s simple wall portraits that don't include acrylic or metal or, you know, 
expensive things. Mm -hmm. And then there's the next step up that can be different finishes, framing and so forth. And that people make kind of one decision at a time. Sure. Um, so how does that fit or what's your pricing sales mastery model in that hmm. regard? I mean, probably the same as you in the sense where I'm really trying to start the conversation with talking about their home, talking about where you're thinking of displaying this artwork um, and trying to shoot for those spaces, mm -hmm. you know? So when and in it, terms of their investment, they're investing a certain amount. And then when it comes to ordering, then they're adding on to that. Right. Um, but that could... I'm not worried about how they're spending their, like if no, if someone wants to get no wall portraits and they want to get 58 by tens, which is kind of silly, but if they want to do that, that's fine. You know, they yeah. can kind of spend their money however they want. Some people are right. album people because they don't want to put anything on the wall. Um, one of the things that I've always done are my finished pieces because I don't have a ton of different levels because I know what you're talking about where you say, well, you know, we have these signature collections and then we have this and um, maybe not collections, but finishes. Mm -hmm. um, I've always made my frame portraits and my canvases um, very similar in price right? because I never wanted it to be about the price. I always wanted them making right. their decision based on um, what size, you know, was the right size for their wall and what finish they like better as opposed mm -hmm. to, well, the canvases are cheaper or the frames are cheaper. Um, right. So and I don't know if that's answering your question, but. So I like to do the framing on different day because I get them right at their comfort zone of investment. Mm -hmm. And if it includes the frame, then my cost of goods is higher and I right. have no chance of any additional income. Okay. So I separate it out. Now, if they want it on, I don't offer a lot of finishes, but if someone wanted metal or a gallery wrap, then yeah, mm -hmm. we need to pick that ahead of time. Sure. But I like to have it a frameable product that they buy and then we we do the framing later. So do you have the actual prints in when like, you're like, here's your 24 by 30 unframed portrait. Let's figure out what frame you want on it. So the first thing I do, because I'm super, super particular is I have my lab, which people, if they've listened, they know I love Mid-South Color Lab. Mm -hmm. um, they send me a 16 by 20 work print for 750. And that way I can see, I let them do a color balance um, because I'm so picky. I can't even please myself <laughs> mm -hmm. with computer and I make sure I like my retouching. And then I invite clients to come over and pick their frames. I, I, I'm not showing it for approval. That's a can of worms. Um, but I say, I've got my test print in. If you want to pop over and pick frames, um, let's set that up. And if they say, no, I'll worry about that later. Then when I deliver the art, I give them another opportunity to buy a frame. So okay. about 20% of my income comes from the add-on frame Okay. that I don't think I would get if I was including, like if it was a $5,000 sale, I don't think I'd have a $6,000 sale if it included $1,000 worth of frames. Sure. I think I'd still have a $5,000 sale. Sure. with less product. Well, and that goes back to, isn't that the whole like money spent is money forgotten? Exactly. Type thing. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, oh, I love this. Thank you. Cause like I'm a thinker <laughs> and I've just been ruminating about, um, you know, about the philosophy and it, it um, comforts me to know that your experience and mine, you know, our models are, 
are similar and we're having similar kinds of successes. So yeah. Well, and the yeah. process is very different for the two of us, right? Cause now I do the pet photography road trips and I'm not even with people when they're doing their ordering session. I'm not even delivering portraits. My lab is drop shipping everything. So like right. what you're doing with the framing, I, um, can't do and don't do because right. like White House is my lab. They're um, doing everything for me. So if someone's getting a frame, then they're, you know, doing the print and they're doing the framing right. and they're shipping it to them. You know? Right. So here's how I might handle it. If you want a, a little thought on that is I would do the sale because you're doing, I, I want to dig in in just a sec to have you share about your current lifestyle and how you're doing your work and your sales. But I'm guessing that you're not doing post and pray, that you're participating in, right. in the sale. Yeah, I do an online gallery, but they're not allowed to order online. Right. The cart is disabled. Yep. Okay, so just a thought is that I would do the sale without the framing and then say, okay, now that I know your art, you know, and get that like, boom, set the, that's it. It's a $5,000 sale and this is what you want the mm -hmm. end, write that up and have the option of delivering with the frame. So I'm going to do a mock-up of three different frames I think would be beautiful for the art you've picked. Mm -hmm. You know, you can take a look at that and we can discuss that later so that okay. then it's still and you're splitting saying it up. You're just purposely doing that to split it up. So it's not all at once. Right. Yeah. And that's then, interesting. And then it's not included in the price. Partly because I have frames, like part of why I make really good money with frames is I sell Hussar frames, which are hand gilded, hand designed, custom gorgeous frames that are very pricey. Mm -hmm. um, so they have that option. And also I have some modest frames. So my mock-ups would, would show, you know, different price points too, so that it's a separate decision. Does that make sense? It does. Um, so you would, would you make that a separate? So if you do in-person sales or remote sales or, you know, you're with them, um, are you doing that even remotely as a second meeting? Okay. I have your yes. mock-up frames ready. Okay. Yes. Interesting. Oh, or in your case, I might, I might post with the mock-up framing and then, and let them look at it. And I'd probably do a separate appointment. Yeah. I might do a looky-loo first, like you know, where they take a look at it, but then we're going to talk about it. So they understand that this frame is the hand gilded. This one is, you know, why you like the different color tones, you know, ask them about their decor and how they have framed other art. Yeah. So making that a separate sales appointment opens up an additional income stream. Sure. No, I like that. And, and I think it also goes for, you know, for the listeners, I think it also goes back to um, what you're making. And if you want to increase your sales average, I think that's a great idea, you mm -hmm. know, and if you're, you know, happy with what you're making, you know, so I think that's kind of where the decisions come in too, when you're making changes in your business. Right. You know, so. Exactly. Because yeah. also time is money. So, you know, selling is something I love to do mm -hmm. and am comfortable doing and it's fun for me. Mm -hmm. So I would enjoy having another, like I enjoy having them come over again and getting some more hugs. Sure. And helping them pick the frames or if they're picking up, I enjoy them coming over again. You know, let's say they don't pick frames until the art is complete. 
then they get to come back over again and I get to see them again and deliver the finished sure. art with the frames and get more hugs. Sure. <laughs> so yes, I love it. Okay. So I know people would love to know more about what your life and business is like now. So can you explain yeah. to us? Yes, I can. I can. Ukulele lady. <laughs> uh, and I can play a song for you while I do it. Yes. Yeah. So it's um, totally different. My business model now is completely different than it was when I had my studio. So I sold the business in 2015 and I moved to Washington state and I actually thought I was done with photography because because I was honestly so burnt out mm. and I love my business and I love my clients and I lo love my employees. But yeah, I got to the point where clients were walking in for sessions and I was like, oh, okay, I can do this. I can do this, you know, and I would get into the session and it would be great and I would love it. But it was just that initial and I was like, ah, oh, this isn't how I should feel. This isn't fair mm -hmm. to my clients that I feel this way, you know, mm -hmm. but I was honestly just so burnt out from it. So I didn't think I was going to do photography anymore. So I took about a year long break and I was just exploring some other things. I started teaching ukulele lessons and I joined the choir and I was doing all these things on my bucket list that I never had time for before. But I thought, you know, maybe, maybe I'll do, you know, a pet photography road trip. And that could be a way for me to incorporate hanging out with my dog and traveling to new places, um, but also having a purpose and not just wandering around, you know, actually making money along the way. So I had just th thrown it out there. It wasn't necessarily a business model at first. It was just a, hey, let's throw it out there on Facebook and let's see if there's any interest. So I just said, hey, these are the states I'm going through if anyone's interested um, in having you know, pet and family portraits done. Yeah, I came back from that road trip and it was super successful. And I was like, I think I'm just going to do this. So that's basically what I do now. I do one road trip a year. It's in the fall. And I shoot about 35 sessions in 35 days. Mm. I travel through 10 states and I stay on the West because that's where I'm located. So, you know, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, Arizona, Utah, California, mm. Oregon. I think that's all of them. Yeah. And then I, I average about one session a day. So sometimes that's one session in an evening um, or some places I'm doing like three mini sessions. Mm -hmm. um, in one evening. So with my travel days, it averages out to about a session per day. And that's the bulk of the money that I make for the year. Um, I do pet paintings and I do photography workshops and things throughout the year. Um, but that road trip is the bulk of the money that I'm living off of for the whole year. And then, so that's about two months of the year. And I live like a retired person mm -hmm. pretty much for the other 10 months now. So, <sighs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It's it and it's my style has changed so much too because at the studio I was doing 99% studio sessions mm -hmm. and every so often someone would book me for an outdoor session and now everything is outdoors or once in a while, you know, the 1% that takes place in the client's home. But yeah, so it's just different and it's not just the background that's different, it's the energy of the dogs, it's the mm -hmm. style of images that you're capturing. So it's been really fun and just going to different locations and I'm not ever shooting in the same place. Yes. And I, yep, I get somewhere um, four hours ahead of time before my session. I try to get to the town to make sure I'm there. And um, I scout locations. Um, unless the client knows where they want to shoot, I do the location scouting and I text them an hour before their session and say, this is where you're meeting me. Um, so it's been, it's a fun adventure, you know? Where do you stay? Oh, so good question. <laughs> so I'm a bit of a hippie. 
when it comes to traveling. Mm -hmm. So I actually put a bed in the back of my SUV and my dog and I, we wild camp. So it's called boondocking. (laughs) So we go boondocking out like national forest land, you know, BLM, Bureau of Land Management land. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And we're just kind of off the grid, dry camping. Once in a while, I'll get a hotel if I really want to be civilized. But Mm -hmm. yeah, we're just traveling. It's just me and my dog just traveling in our car. Where do you shower? So (laughs) that's the first question everybody always has. Um, So funny, funny story. So this last road trip, I went through um, Aspen, Colorado, and there weren't a lot of places to boondock, obviously, in Aspen, Colorado. So that was one of the places that I booked a hotel or, or I would have had to drive way out of town. And by the time my sessions are done, that's usually when it's getting dark, you know, because I'm shooting an hour, an hour and a half before sunset. So I booked a hotel. So I check in. I showered, of course. Um, so I, before I went to my portrait session, and then I got home from my portrait session, and I was like, "Well, I'm just going to shower again because I'm here and I have a shower." And then the next morning, before I checked out, I was like, "Well, I mean, checkout's not till 11. I might as well just shower." <laughs> so I literally showered like three times in this like 24-hour period. The luxury um, of that. Yes, because like, I oh. because I had it. Yeah, but normally, um, oh gosh, is this too? <laughs> This is too hippie to say. Um, I'm just showering with a bottle of water. So yep, my grandma would I, call it a spit bath. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yep. And I have, you know, the pop-up little things that a lot of high school senior photographers have, the little yeah. pop-up showers and changing rooms. Yep. Mm-hmm. I have that. I pop it up. I shower. Yeah. Yeah. So, hey, if, if you've got a 24-hour fitness uh, yes. membership, yes, then anywhere, any town that has a 24-hour fitness you can just go in there and check. Yes. There, oh, we could have a whole, a whole podcast about boondocking and yeah. where to get internet. And I mean, there's places, you know, obviously the obvious things like coffee shops, but also like fast food places. Coffee you shops outside. for shower. Coffee shops no, for no, shower. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. For Wi-Fi. For, <laughs> I know. Um, yeah. I um, I but um, even like hospitals have like great waiting areas and Wi-Fi you can use. Mm. Um, yep. But, um, you know, the reason that I don't do the gym thing, a lot of people do like the 24-hour fitness and planet fitness in places is because I have my dog with me and I don't want to leave her in the car unattended. Ah. And when I go and shoot portrait sessions, I actually have to book dog sitters. Mm. Um, so I leave her, you know, for a few hours at their house, shoot the session and then go back um, to get her. So there's a lot of coordinating yeah. with that. So right. yeah, that's the only reason because yeah, that's the only reason I haven't done that with the showering thing, just because yeah. I don't want to leave her in the car. And sometimes right. it's too hot to leave her. So right. Yeah. Well, and, and uh, there are campgrounds, I suppose, that you find that have showers here and there that you may not be staying in, but that they allow you to come in. Have you? Yeah, no, for those? sure. But yes, but it's also, again, that hippie side of me. It's kind of fun if you guys ever want to challenge yourself, because like, <laughs> when you're dry camping, like you don't want to use all your water. So if you can shower with like one bottle of water, uh-huh. kind of a big accomplishment in your life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pat yourself on the back for that. Yes. So what is a a range of sales? You know, not like averages one thing, but sort of from what to what? Sure, sure, sure. So my mini sessions, when I do those, um, those are averaging $1,000. So I do three in an evening. Mm -hmm. Um, But those um, I only do in cities where I have a lot of clients. So the, you know, Nevada, Arizona, 
Utah, California. I don't have a lot of clients in like the Montana, Colorado area. So I'm shooting just my full sessions there. Uh Um, My full sessions when I'm doing one session an evening. So I'll tell you both numbers. So I'm averaging um, 2,600 is an Uh average sale, but those can go anywhere. I had my first $10,000 sale on this road trip. Yeah. So, but you know, people spending you know, anywhere from gosh, 1500, 5,000, 6,000, but yeah, the 10,000 was, um, that was a fun number to hit on this road trip. Yeah. For one single family session. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 So I can see how you've got your expenses moderate and especially compared to what you had before. Oh, for sure. And, and that, you know, like People can make a really fine living on 35 clients a year. If you expenses are low, and you hit some nice numbers, right. um, you know, not billionaire, but definitely, yeah, you, can you know, six 60, figures. 70, <laughs> yeah. 100,000 yeah. a year if you, yep. if you do it. Yep. And, I, and again, I have, you know, the bulk of the money is from that, but I do have the pet paintings right. that I do throughout the year, which are kind of fun, just one or two paintings a month, yes. you know? Yes. Yeah. So when you go to different areas, is there an opportunity for people to assist you? Like we've got listeners all over the country and actually in (laughs) 42 countries, but um, if somebody wanted to help, you know, be a handy helper and get to learn and watch you work, is that something you do? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, Yeah, they could watch my dog for me and they could assist me. (laughs) So they could be helping me. I could be helping them. Yeah. I um, have never worked with an assistant before. Ah. Um, it's just a thing, even when I had the studio. Um, and part of that is because I'm doing pet photography and I am very particular about the dogs looking directly at the camera when I'm doing a shot where the owners are looking at the camera and I don't want them looking even just a couple inches off because you lose that connection Mm -hmm. in the portrait. Um, so I have never, I've always just used my owners as assistants. Mm -hmm. Um, that's who the pets are the most comfortable with. So yeah, I'm not against having you know, an assistant there if somebody wanted to help with certain things, but I'd be very particular about where they're standing and what they're doing. So they're not standing behind me. I don't want anyone standing behind me um, when I do portraits. And I always say it's because as a pet photographer, maybe this is the same thing for children, but I want to be the most important thing in front of those dogs. It's completely Um, the same. Yeah. If I'm somewhere and there's other dogs walking around, um, if there's birds flying, if there's this and that, it's like those things are more interesting than I am. And I want to be the most interesting thing that they see. So if there's two of us or there's an owner standing behind me, clapping their hands or making a noise, um, the dogs might be looking off just a little bit and not looking right at the camera. Yes. You know, when I'm working with kids, big humans there. And one of the things sometimes when I notice, because also kids will get nervous trying to look at their parents and grandparents to see mm-hmm. if they're doing things right, you know, right, for their right. approval. approval. Yeah. And if I, cause there's 50 muscles in the human face, I don't know how many in a dog, but humans, you know, I'm a student of the face and I can, I can read when a kid is feeling a little bit nervous because of the parents yeah. and I will have them turn backwards mm, yep, and yep. not look, uh, yep especially if it's a big family group and I'm trying to do a couple of kids for that same reason, I want them to look at me. Yeah. And See, there, there are a lot of similarities because what I do similar. is have the owners stand by their dogs, right? They're petting them, keep your hands on them until I get their attention. Um, but a lot of times if their dog is very, very well-trained, um, well-trained dogs are actually hard, harder for me to photograph. Right. I've heard that. Um, 
Yeah. And it's just because they're so in tune with their owner and wanting to please them, mm-hmm. you know, that, and I don't want the owner standing behind me necessarily. Right. So a lot of times I'll tell owners like stand right next to them, keep petting them, but don't make eye contact with them. Right. Exactly. Yep. It yep. is the same. The other thing that's similar is the hardest kids to photograph are pageant kids. Oh, I would bet. Because yep. Trying yeah. to get them, you know, I, I want an authenticity in my work. Yes, yes. I want you to feel like you can see the soul of this child that is mm-hmm. going to be who they are when they're, you're looking in their eyes at a hundred mm-hmm. or at one day old or four years old and, right. and kids who have been trained yes. <laughs> to perform on command, yes. mm-hmm. uh, definitely harder to get them to, uh, to relax. Yeah. See, that's interesting because sometimes I'll have those real well-trained dogs or um, therapy dogs um, and they're wonderful animals, but sometimes they're hard to get the expressions out of Mm -hmm. because they're so well-trained to be immune to kind of all those noises. Right. So they don't react to them as well as say a hyper dog. You know, some people are like, oh, hyper dogs are so hard to photograph. And I'm like, yeah, they're harder to control but you get the best expressions out of them. Yes. You That's know? why yeah. I love under four, like Mike or four and under, but I especially love four-year-olds. Because it's authentic. Their because they don't have the cheese face yet. Yep. Yep. Not yep. as strong. Yep. The other the other challenge in my world is now with selfies is teenagers, mm-hmm. teenage girls who have done a lot of selfies and they've figured out an angle. Yep. They They're a certain look side. Really cute. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. But that angle doesn't work in a family portrait. Of course. Because their hands on their hip and you know, sometimes they'll have to repose them every shot because they'll go right back in, you know, like no, lean towards your dad and their hand and <laughs> and they'll I'll right. click one and then boom, their hand is on their hip and their head is tilted again. Oh. <sighs> See, yes. that's why pets are so great because they don't complain about how they look. <laughs> <I> know. <laughs> and the owners just yes. think that they're cute all the time. Yes. Um, now, but I, I will say though, um, just to go back to what you were saying about expressions, mm-hmm. that um, pets do have all those tiny little, you know, their eyebrows can be a certain way. Um, if their mouth is like just not all the way closed, but not all the way open, that's kind of an unsure look. Uh-huh. You know, so there can be all these little expressions that we know as pet owners um, that you have to be very conscious of when you're shooting and be conscious of when you're culling your images. Yes. That's just that tiny little change in expression can make an image not sellable right. to an owner because they could look at it and go, oh, well, they look sad or they yes. look confused. Or I, I did uh, uh, Three Horses, mm-hmm. a woman who um, she, has, she has boarding and she trains and she has three horses of her own. It was a beautiful interesting session. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I remember saying, oh my gosh, so a horse, photographing a horse is sort of like photographing a toddler. And she said, a toddler that can kill you. (laughs) Right. No kidding. (laughs) And I got lots of great images and I did know that the ears need to be forward usually. Um, And then when she's looking at, you know, we're sorting through and she's, there's ones that I just think are great. And she says, Nope, he doesn't look happy there. Yep. No, yep. he looks nervous. Yeah. No, he looks kind of crazy. And yep. and then I could start to see that. But yep. yeah, and that's no, the fun I'm... of it and the the skill that makes this so interesting. I mean, it's the yeah. same with with kids and families as we can get them in place 
but I see so many beautiful photographs that people take, but the eyes are dead. Yep. Or it overall expressions are what I get just before I do what it takes to get them to respond. So, you know, they're in a, in neutral basically. Sure. sure so sure, yeah. one other, um, just, you know, for my listeners, just a tip may not be right for anyone else, but this works for me when I'm doing family portraits and I'm including a pet, then I require, and I always work in, with an assistant because I want somebody schlepping my stuff through the woods, mm-hmm. you know, carrying things, relieving me of, of some of the energy. You know, I want them to be chasing the toddler and putting him back in the group. <laughs> um, but when there's a pet involved, I have the owners bring a, a friend who's good with the animal that can take them away when they're not included. Because if they are like leashed to a tree or something, the kids, everyone is going to be, it's going to be pulling focus. And when I do a family portrait with a pet, I do lots of pictures without the pet. And, and my assistant is not the one to walk them away because I need my assistant to help me wrangle those children. Yeah, Um, that's really, that's That's an interesting tip. tip. And for us, it's so different because the pets are included in every single portrait. Right. I mean, there's sometimes the one random shot where just the husband and wife might get together and the dogs aren't in it, but we're not purposely trying to keep them out of the shot. No, you know, it's but, like they're in that situation, they are the focus because there's no kids there. Right. You know, now, you know that I sell three to seven or eight wall portraits for every right. session, almost right. every time. Ask Mid-South Color Lab. They'll verify I'm not making that up. Yeah. So if... If I were doing what you do, I would still do the couple separately. I would do the mom separately. You know, especially if there's a couple of children, I, to me, more is more in a photo Mm -hmm. session. And so having some where the pets are not included gives me more to sell. And so if they're going to have the fireplace image and then they're going to have something for their bedroom that does not include the dog that's the two of them. And then the individual breakups of the dog with the dad, the dog with the mom, the dog with, with the son, you know what I'm saying? Is the variety. Um, You know, and that, that's just one of my secrets to the multiple wall portrait sale is provide variety of combinations. And then they have to have a book and they have to have a bunch of wall portraits. Um, But yeah, no, the book is a big thing. Like I sell almost every single one of my clients gets an album. Yeah. But yeah. So I just, and I guess the variety for me comes in because I do have some clients who just have one dog, but it's not often. Uh-huh. Most of my clients have multiple dogs, you know, two, three, four, five dogs. So that's a lot of the variety as well. You're doing their individuals of each dog, and then you're doing action shots and pose shots and right. head right. shots and full length and then group shots. So yeah, it's, and so I, I'm, I'm always shooting with that album thought in mind, which right. is going to give right. you the variety if you shoot for an album. Yeah. So Arka, we're almost out of time, but I wanted you to, if you can briefly tell us that how you do your sales, not the sure. breakdown of the actual. Yeah, but just but, the logistics of how it works. Yes, please. Yeah. So what I do is um, before at the studio, I used to do in-person sales and we had a theater room specifically for our sales sessions. And that was the first time the clients were seeing the images. Um, so probably similar to how you do that. Mm -hmm. Um, But being on the road, I am sometimes going to different cities, but sometimes going to different states the next day. 
mm-hmm. you know, so I might shoot a session in um, Wyoming and then be in Colorado the next day. So I don't stick around to do an in-person ordering session because that would double the length of my road trip. Right. So um, I do an online gallery. Like I said before, people cannot order from that. It's just a viewing gallery. And then I um, have always used ProSelect. That's the sales software that mm-hmm. I use, but I do a remote ordering session through, you can use any, you know, you can use Zoom. I use join.me, mm-hmm. um, but any kind of meeting where they can do screen sharing. Right. Um, so the client is just seeing my screen. So I'm doing the full ordering session that I used to do at the studio. I am just doing it now where they're seeing my screen. So they don't touch their computer the entire time. Right. Um, so if they are looking at my product menu, I pull my product menu up. If they say, oh, let's look at the different finishes and I pull it up on my computer. Right. Um, yeah, I'm showing them the images side by side. The huge benefit that I have found with the um, remote sales like that, of course, there's the benefit of, uh, and there's huge benefits of in-person selling. I'm not against that at all because I did that for nine years and it was great. But one of the huge benefits is that people are at home and a lot of people aren't sending me their wall images ahead of time. Mm-hmm. So this is an opportunity where they're actually taking images of their walls. They're texting it to me. I'm adding it to the sales software. um, And then we're handling that part of it. So they're actually helping me sell them wall portraits and saying, well, you know, there's also this hallway and there's also this bathroom. And I go, okay, great. Take a picture of that. And they send it to me and we're actually putting the images, mocking them up on their walls while we're doing the ordering session. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's how I'm selling all of my large wall portraits is, Yeah. 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 So yeah. it works. Good, it good, does. good. Yeah. So how do we get in touch with you? Questions or wants to sure. learn more about uh, some of the things that you offer? Sure. Yeah. My website Sorry. is arkadorf.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, my email is all over my website, which is arka at arkadorf.com. I'm super happy to answer any questions that people have about my road trips or pet photography. Yeah. And then I'm on Facebook and I'm on Instagram. Awesome. Yeah. So before we sign off, is there any last thing that you want to be sure that people know or that you want to share with Hmm. my listener? Gosh, this is a thing I've been saying recently um, is base your business model on the lifestyle that you want to live. Mm. Don't base it on what someone is doing down the street. Don't base it on what you think your business is supposed to look like. You know, just base it on the lifestyle that you want to live. Like right now, I don't want to have a studio storefront. I want to be, quote, retired for 10 months. I want to travel with my dog. I want to go to new places. I don't want to be shooting in the same locations over and over. So that's why the road trips work really well for me. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's just base your business model on what, yeah, what you want to do, how you want to spend your time. I love it. Yeah. That's why I've stayed in my home for the 38 years because yeah. I don't want to have to go keep hours mm-hmm. and I don't want to necessarily always have to suit up and show up to go work. Sure. I like my commute, which is from upstairs to downstairs. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> On the other hand, I think about if I'd had a nice big camera room there might have been some joys in that that I've missed out on because my space was an apartment above my garage when I did studio. Sure. And so, you know, if I could play back my life a bit, I might have a spell where maybe I have a camera room where I meet with clients that's larger and just rent out the apartment as an apartment and see how I like that. Cause I could mm-hmm. always undo that. But um, yeah. yeah, I love that. I love but that. I think it just goes back to the lifestyle thing. Cause when I had the studio, I actually did love it. I loved getting dressed and going somewhere every day mm-hmm. and sitting down and having a dedicated workspace. And 
I loved it when I had it. I just don't want that now. Yes. You know, so I just think it's all about what, what fits your lifestyle right now. Right. Some people do the, the, uh, the hippie life and then settle down. You settled down (laughs) and then did hippie hippie life. life. I love it. Yeah. It's never too late to have a happy childhood. (laughs) Uh, Can I recommend one more thing? Yes. Cause I just can't not recommend it. Uh, And I said it earlier, but the book profit first. Yes. I'm just a huge, huge advocate of understanding your numbers and saving for retirement and having X amount of dollars from each session saved into different accounts. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that's been life changing for me. I love it. And then when you're 38 down years down the road, you won't be like, "Uh Oh, how am I going to, do I ever get to retire? How am I going to, you know, do I have to downsize? Do I have to sell my house and live in a tent? You've got, you've got savings, you've got plans. Yeah. I'm living in my car part of the year by choice. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yes. Um, No, but just you, after all of this, right, we want to have something to show for all of our hard work and that's a paycheck to ourselves and a retirement savings. Right. So, yeah. And the piece that, that comes from having that, you know, it's had a little business in the airport um, in my twenties. It kind of was handed to me I was a manager and they changed it to consultation. And I had a, I don't know who this person was, but I don't know if it was a client, a friend, somebody who did estate planning that challenged me to set aside uh, the maximum IRA every year Mm -hmm. then. So from 25 on, you know, I've, I've consistently done that. And it is comforting to know that if I ever decide to retire and start pulling money out of that, I've got that. So yeah. Yeah. And when I started doing the profit first, my very first road trip that I was doing profit first, I maxed out my Roth IRA and I was like, yeah, it was just such a good feeling to, you know, do something that I love, make my clients happy, putting beautiful art out there in the world, but also, you know, taking care of myself and saving for my future. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, good for you. So before I say goodbye to the lovely Arika, don't forget to stay tuned for my uh, summary of the gems from today. And also, I have been loving the feedback that I've gotten recently about how you're reacting to my show and some topic suggestions. So I want to thank you for that. Keep it coming. And also, it would mean so, so much to me if you would leave a review. And I'm not talking to you, Arika. I'm talking to the Mm-hmm. my listeners, but I'd love for you to leave a review as well on iTunes. You just find somewhere there's a button that says review and there's a place to rate. It helps the show get more visibility. It helps my guests get more people listening to their amazingness. And guess what? When you share the podcast with your friends, an angel gets her wings. <laughs> or at least you get a big virtual hug from me. And I love it. People- People like my hugs. So Arika, thank you so much. It was just such a highlight to meet you in person and uh, now call you friend and know that this relationship is just going to continue on year after year. Little side plug for going to PPA conventions is that you get to make new friends and then get to keep them like the Girl Scouts, make new friends. Mm. Keep the the old. So mm-hmm. you're, you're my new silver and soon to be gold. Aww, thank you. <laughs> so thank you, Erica. Okay. Erica thank for you being for having me today. You're welcome. All right. Let's see. Oh, I love that conversation. I hope you got a lot out of it. You know, she's such an inspiration to me and hopefully to you about thinking about what you want your life to be 
right now and let's say in the next five and 10 years and plan for that. One of the big surprises was that she started her business as a business, took out a big loan, opened a studio. Photography was not her love. People and pets and having a business were her passion with photography as the the vehicle to be able to make a living and have a business working with pets and their people. And I asked her about where did she get the courage? And she said she didn't know that she could possibly fail, that she's just had a kind of life where the endeavors that she took on worked and obviously worked again because she for many years had a very thriving pet photography business. I also really enjoyed our conversation about different strategies of how to sell. And there's really no right and wrong. I did find it interesting that we have kind of a similar picture of how to set up a price list for portraits. And the initial investment was, which is to keep it over 450 and under seven for that initial commitment that potentially that gets people to say yes that are qualified and people to say no that would not be ideal clients. So I loved talking about that. And she and I both have the philosophy of having a few things, you know, an eight by 10 priced so that someone could for that initial investment walk away with a few smalls and that that helps people be comfortable booking. And then the job of doing great photography and uh, having good sales techniques, helping plant the seeds for purchase, all that stuff that I talk about all the time, you know, that takes over from that point. And also I love that she talked about the importance of knowing your numbers and saving, having different buckets. I think that's the Profit First book that talks about having six different buckets. And so you're not just putting a bunch of money in a bank account and hoping you've got more money at the end of your month than month at the end of your money or year. And then just her story of how she's created this fun lifestyle where she travels and works hard, I'm hearing, (laughs) very hard for two months and then goes home and lives like a retired person. I mean, some people live like that when they're younger and then get all settled in. Well, she was nice and settled and established and then decided to um, shift her dreams for now and create something completely out of the box. So my question for you is, if you knew you couldn't fail, how would you really want to live your life? I think that is the core question. So that is it for now. And I am just so delighted that that you're listening week after week and sending me feedback and all that goodness. If you are going to WPPI, hopefully I met you there and we had a chance to chat because by the time this show airs, WPPI will be history for this year, but it's coming around next year. (laughs) So anyway, that's it. And bye for now. You have been listening to The Highly Profitable Photographer with Lucy Dumas. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and share. To connect one-on-one and learn more about our coaching programs, just go to lucydumascoaching.com. Until next time, go have fun photographing and selling your work.